0: to darkness Wells, episode 33 i am your host jason white and who's there with me your co-host michael chitzrayan hey how's it going
1: it's great um enjoying this chilly weather for a change um, <laughs> how's things up in canada
0: it's cold <laughs> oh yeah everywhere I, I could i could deal with chilly, but it's been really cold here well for me I, i'm I'm a big wimp when it comes to uh, to, uh, to cold. I, anything below minus 10, uh, that's Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but uh, I can't handle.
1: Well, I'm sure it's, it's too damn cold in Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's why I had to leave Wisconsin. I remember the last winter I was there. I was walking into, I think it was a Target, and the wind just smacking me in the face, and I realized <laughs> whatever face it is I'm making right now, a person should not be making that face? yeah so I, I had to come out to warmer climbs.
0: that's so true. um my wife works at a at a Walmart and uh and uh her Walmart it's always windy in the parking lot. it's like terribly windy and then in the wintertime it's uh you get that exact same thing where it's blowing in your face and you're like making faces and you feel yeah. things freezing on your skin. And you're like, why? Why do we live here? <laughs> uh, why don't we? Migrate? You know, I miss it though. Not the uh, cold,
1: but like the snow and and like real autumn and real uh, winter. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. and I, I guess maybe like Christmas time too, with the snow and the and yeah. The, uh, yeah, I could see you missing that, but the rest of it I could do without. <laughs> yeah, not not this bitter cold
1: that that we got in Wisconsin, just like just like you guys.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> so. Uh, this week, uh, we're gonna have a conversation about, uh, uh, this is the wrap-up of our, uh, November is Haunted. And, uh, because of my, uh, silliness, I forgot that I worked last night. I don't know how that happened. But it's looking like, uh, this might not get out until December the 1st. Very early December the 1st. But here in podcast land, it's still November because it's Haunted and we're trapped in a loop.
1: <laughs> we can't, we can't escape. Yes. We can't escape November,
0: which isn't such a terrible thing, I suppose. Um. <laughs> we also have a uh, a new segment that uh, that I'm proud to present um, this week, and that is a a book review by a very new uh, addition to the show. Uh, you'll have to stick around to see who that is or who's going to be doing the book review and uh so yeah there's that we also have uh the usual um uh movie news which i don't know if i have very much of oh yeah there's a couple of things i noted and uh and of course uh new releases um so uh before we get into any of that though let me tell everyone about our uh our sponsor. And, uh, if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash darkness dwells, you can start your own free trial membership. And this free trial gets you one free audiobook of your choice. But I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give you a suggestion. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as this house is haunted. Hmm. And that's written by John Boyne. It's narrated by Allison Larkin. And it is 8 hours and 52 minutes of unabridged audiobook. And here is the uh, the synopsis. Written in D- Dickensian prose, uh, the, This House is Haunted is a striking homage to a classic 19th century ghost story. Set in Norfolk in 1867, Eliza Kane responds to an ad for a governess position at Godlin Hall. When she arrives at the hall, shaken by an unsettling disturbance that occurred during her travels, she is greeted by two children now in her care, Isabella and ooh, Eustace. <laughs> there is no adult present to represent her mysterious employer, and the children offer no explanation. Later that night in her room, another terrifying experience further reinforces the sense that something is very wrong. From the moment Eliza re- rises from the Oh, excuse me. From the moment Eliza rises from the fo- uh, the following morning, her every step seems dogged by a malign presence that lives within Godlin's walls. Eliza realizes that if she and the children are to survive its violent intentions, she must first uncover the hall's long buried secrets and confront the demons of its past. So that sounds. That I really like the idea of uh, uh, it being an homage to. Uh, classic nineteenth century ghost stories
1: sounds good, and it's perfect for haunted November
0: it is you can even listen to it uh <laughs> in December because uh did you know that they used to <clears throat> a long time ago, like a hundred two hundred years ago, they used to have fireside readings at Christmas time I did not yeah they used to uh they used to listen to, or listen, yeah, they used to read ghost stories around the fire uh I believe this was a uh, a Britain thing where they did this. You know, that, that
1: makes makes uh, Dickens' A Christmas Carol can, kind of informs that a little bit. If, yes. If that was kind of a somewhat common thing, talking about ghost stories around Christmas.
0: Yeah. I, I found that kind of strange <laughs> because, you know, Christmas, right? But uh, at the same time, it makes perfect sense considering the time of year. It's the darkest time of year. Um
1: and the ghost of baby Jesus is with us all.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> um, all right, so how about we take... Uh, oh, actually, we're not going to take a break. What we're going to do is we're going to head on into the news and new releases. How does that sound? Sounds perfect. All right. I was sitting
1: in my room, dark and gray and crying. Someone in my life I fear was at the point of dying. A cold wind blew right up my spine. It was the break of dawn. A little voice way deep inside told
2: me she was gone.
0: Vince's house is alright so uh, movie news and new releases now I forget how long ago it was I think it's been a couple of weeks but you you uh, sent me a, a, a message over Facebook that really surprised me you are like so do you have plans on seeing uh, this movie The Hateful Eight and I'm like what the fuck's The Hateful Eight <laughs> <laughs> and so I looked it up and it's the next Quentin Tarantino movie. What the fuck? I had wow. no idea this was coming. Like they they dropped this shit on us. Like a bomb. it came
1: really quickly. I I thought it was coming sometime next year.
0: I didn't even know it was in production. To be honest with you, I I thought he was just at home playing video games or something. <laughs> no
1: hard at work. <laughs>
0: yeah, because well, I remember when uh, when he released Django, uh, he said that that could be. Could be his last film because he didn't want to record digitally. He liked recording with actual, like, film. So, uh, he was thinking of retiring. So, I thought that maybe that was the direction he was going in, but I guess not. I'm glad he didn't go in that direction.
1: That would be terrible if he retired. I just, I love his films. I know that, um, as far as The Hateful Eight goes, I, I think that what the, what the, uh, Hollywood rumors are is that the script was leaked. The story was leaked, and and he almost abandoned the project then, yeah. as well. So, I'm I'm glad that everything worked, and and we have a new one. It from the previews, it looks just perfect. The the epitome of Tarantino, like all the best parts of all his previous movies, inspired inspired this one. Looks just mm-hmm. fantastic.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm a little surprised that he's going with another western, but. It is a bit of a western with a twist, considering that there's a lot of, uh, as we were talking about earlier in the episode, there is a, looks like a lot of cold air and and snow maybe. <laughs>
1: yes, it looks a lot like home.
0: Yeah, it kind of does. Um, but it it takes place in the mountains. I guess that's why there's uh, there's snow. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. And you're right, it did it it did leak. I was gonna mention that and. Uh, uh, what, what else was I going to say about that yeah he was going to cancel it and he was going to publish actually did you know that he was going to publish the script as a novel instead oh I never heard that yeah he was going to do that but he I guess he uh, decided not to so uh, so instead we have uh, the movie which you know it would be cool to have like a novel by Quentin Tarantino but I love this film so much that I would honestly prefer the film um he began filming it on December 8th, uh, 2014, and uh, it's set for Christmas Day, a release date. Or that's the release date, Christmas Day. And uh, that's only being released o- in 70mm format on Christmas Day before it's released in digital the- theaters on January the 8th. So hmm. I guess uh, the Christmas Day opening is kind of limited, but, but it goes it goes viral on January the 8th (laughs) good news yes all right so uh, also we have uh, it follows and bone tomahawk get nominations at the film independent spirit Awards I think that's pretty cool for it follows now I've heard a lot about bone tomahawk but I haven't seen it have you seen this one I haven't and just like you I hear a lot about it yeah um I keep hearing like that it's a good film but I've only heard that I've never seen a, a a preview or I guess I should look it up maybe but I'm really happy for uh for it follows that's a, a fantastic film it's good to see it get at least uh, recognized somewhere
1: Yeah I we we both loved it a lot we did a show on it so
0: Yeah well we're not the only ones to love it like everyone I haven't heard too much negative uh feedback on this one Everyone yeah, people in our industry really got it, I think yeah i mean it's such a that's kind of an homage too
1: of of classic horror in a way. there's a lot of yeah. lot of uh good classic elements in there
0: yeah, definitely and uh it's it's got some rewatch ability to to it as well like uh I've seen it three times now, I think, and uh it's it's just as fascinating each time.
1: I agree. I've seen it a couple times myself.
0: All right, so that's pretty much it for the movies that I got anyway. Uh, Other than to say that uh, the movie that I've been wanting to see, because it just looks absolutely insane, is now out in Blu-ray and DVD. Unfortunately, it's not on demand like through Google Play or iTunes yet. But, uh, hopefully it will be soon, and that's, uh, Reichsführer SS. <laughs> now this is a movie about, uh, Henrik Himmler, who is uh, Adolf Hitler's most loyal henchman, and one of the most feared men of uh, World War II. Uh, surprisingly, he had only one problem. He had no stomach for murder. When uh, Reichsfuhrer SS becomes physically ill during the execution of Russian POWs on the Eastern Front in 1941, ruthless careerist, (laughs) ruthless careerist, that's just weird to say, (laughs) Uh, SS General Hans Schellenberg uh, rats Himmler out to the Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler. Hitler tests his loyal Henrik, forcing him to commit the murder of a Polish prisoner named uh, Danuta with his own hands. Thus awakening the monster within him that will horrify the world for generations to come. Himmler may please his fear in 1941, but what awaits him after he commits suicide in 1945 is nothing less than hell itself. So that's, from my understanding, what the movie is about. Uh Henrik Himmler, Himmler in hell. <laughs> huh. This movie and has
1: completely escaped my radar.
0: It, it looks like I've seen a couple of... Uh, Uh, trailers for it and when I saw the trailer I was hooked I mean for one reason or another I don't know what it is exactly but I like movies that take place in hell (laughs) I think it's because uh, you know it's just nastiness and uh, you can can do a lot of things with that concept a lot of dark things and this movie looks like it holds no punches and I want to see it
1: well I'm going to look for this one
0: yeah, definitely check out the uh, uh, the trailer for it. And then, well, I'm going to go hunt it down. I'm hoping that it'll go on one of my streaming services soon. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I think it should. It should, definitely. If it, if it becomes like another House of a Thousand Eyes, uh, I'm going to scream. <laughs> <laughs> it's released, but you can't get it. <laughs> oh, I know. That was
1: infuriating to me. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then it was disappointing.
1: Yes, it was.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, horror literature, new releases. From Permuted Press, we have A Face of Stone from the journals of Samantha Bloodworth, Walking on Mars, serial number 10, and that's by Briar Lee Mitchell. Uh, we have De- Degeneration, which is uh, Degeneration book number one, and that's from Mark D. Campbell and moving on to Severed Press we have uh, Keiju Kiribati and this is the Keiju Deadfall book number 2 and that's by J.E. Gurley and from Journalstone we have X's for Eyes by Laird Barron uh, from Sinister Grin we have Fort by Mark Allen Gunnels Alright, that that was pretty much it for this This is the end of the month And I find that end of the month Generally is slim pickings In the horror field of uh, literature releases I don't know what it's like for other genres But For some reason, horror takes a break At the end of the month
1: Yeah, I wonder why I don't know But they sound like some pretty good releases And there's certainly some some friendly names in there
0: For sure all right, so uh, we're going to take a small break here uh, while we listen to some uh, awesome messages. And when we get back, we're going to discuss uh, the movie The Houses October Built. Bump, bum bum Spooky scary. <laughs>
3: Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey.
2: Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films.
3: Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, hammer
2: means how to get a nail into a block of wood.
3: This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com.
0: Should I have said Hammer Pants?
3: 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films Discussion. Excuse me, what are you doing? Are you looking for porn again? No. Well, what is that, I see?
1: It's not porn. It's the Badass Boobs and website. I happen to be looking at the reviews in the boobs section of the site.
3: They have a section of the site dedicated to boobs?
1: Yes, they do. They cover exploitation films in the boobs category, action films in the badass category, and horror in the body counts category.
3: What's that review you're reading now?
1: This is Andy Sidaris's Malibu Express. See at the bottom of the review there? They list how many boobs appear in the film. In this case, it's 22 pairs This is definitely A film I want to see
3: You mean just for boobs
1: Uh yeah Just for boobs
3: What's that other option and B, C Podcast
1: That's the great thing About the site If you're not into Reading the reviews You can listen to them Via the web On your mobile device Through iTunes And even Stitcher Smart Radio And they cover The same types of films Lesser known action Exploitation And horror cinema So yeah To answer your question I wasn't cruising porn That's too bad What's too bad
3: That you weren't cruising For porn Uh why Because I was feeling Kind of horny
1: Oh wait 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 wait! Get back here! Hey, get back here!
2: Tell me about yourself and what are we doing? You want my name? My name is Zach. you have known me for 20 years, Mikey. I've rented an RV. I want to find the most extreme haunted house in the world. What is an extreme haunt? I don't understand how far, like how far they you really can go on without hurting
0: somebody.
4: Dirty,
0: buddy. <laughs> my, my <yeah. laughs> What's the camera for? Are you doing doing crime
1: stoppers
3: or your cops, or something?
1: We're doing to catch a predator. To catch a
3: predator. We're gonna go. <laughs> you wanna be a pretty dog like me? <laughs>
2: what's going on do you care if we ask you some questions i'm with all this group of people and we're trying to find something extreme hey we got it it's in louisiana this year we don't have an address though (laughs) this is where they said to go is that
3: the girl from
0: the hunt she didn't really say anything
3: something happened to your car Hmm.
2: have here? It's an invitation. This
0: is not a haunt. We're in the middle of nowhere in our RV. Yeah, I know. That's what we've been wanting. One more day. It's all Halloween. We go home tomorrow.
1: Hey, wait up! Wait up! What's that? Shh. Somebody's on the roof. What's just happened? Brady, stay back.
0: Welcome back. You still with me there, Michael?
1: I'm here. I made it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yay! And no technical difficulties just yet. Oh, I, I probably... We haven't had it. any
1: of those in quite a while, have hey, we?
0: Yeah, no. Um. We although, haven't.
1: So although I shouldn't say we because you handle all the technical aspects. I just I just sit here and talk about, about the shit I want to talk about.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, no technical difficulties equals happy Jay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No more Lovecraftian recordings
0: Oh, that was horrible That still gives me uh, nightmares (laughs) (laughs) Podcasting nightmares
1: Hey, that would be a great anthology title (laughs)
0: Yeah, that that would be We might have to uh, think about that one Alright, so The House is October Built Um, This is a, a found footage film and uh, it was oh you know what i don't know what year this movie is was it 2013 i think it was 13 yes yeah um, here's yeah here's the uh, the synopsis uh, beneath the fake blood and cheap masks of countless haunted house attractions across the country there are whispers of truly terrifying alternatives looking to find an authentic blood curdling good fright for halloween Five friends set off on a road trip in an RV to track down these underground haunts. Just when their search seems to reach a dead end, strange and disturbing things start happening, and it becomes clear that the haunt has come to them. (laughs) Alright, this movie is uh, directed by Bobby Rowe, who actually plays in this movie. He plays uh, uh, the guy with the dark, longish hair. Uh, and, uh, it's written by, uh, Zach Andrews. And it stars. Uh, my star list disappeared. It stars. It's completely disappeared. (laughs) It stars. I have their
1: character names, but I.
0: I (laughs) (laughs) I, That's funny, because I always have the actor names and you have the character names. (laughs)
1: But and a and, uh, correction, it says that it was released on October 10th of 2014. Oh,
0: yes, it is 2014. I see that here now. Because uh, I had to go to IMDb to get the actors. Um, yeah, it uh, stars Brandy Schaefer, Zach Andrews, uh, Bobby Rowe, as I mentioned, uh, Mikey Rowe, which I guess could be his brother, I don't know, and Jeff Larson. Now, before you go into uh, saying, oh, this is just a family affair. <laughs> Um no, um this movie Bobby Rowe actually he's directed a few things that you might recognize but you know uh didn't know <laughs> uh existed. He was uh let me see here. He he's known for uh, Superman Returns and The Longest Yard with, uh the Adam Sandler film. So uh so he's done some stuff. He's done a lot of TV as well. Um Those are some those are some big movies. Yeah, yeah. he did. For sure. But I'm sure it's not limited to that. I'm just looking at the quick list here. But uh yeah, so uh this movie uh starts off pretty much typical for any uh found footage film. You have five guys or five, four guys and one girl. And uh they act pretty much as anyone does in these films. They're kind of douchey, <laughs> Uh kind of silly, you know. Of themselves, but they're young and they're, you know, hungry for finding this underground haunt. And uh, so they go looking for it by doing a tour, as uh, the synopsis said, of, of haunted houses. Now, I think this is an awesome concept. I would love to do something like that. Just, you know, at, at Halloween time, go get an RV and, and travel across the country to like some of the biggest, uh, you know, haunted house attractions.
1: It's certainly on my bucket list to do now. And yeah. and I just found the entire concept to be to be really quite brilliant for a movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It it sounded like you were getting a little bit negative there, but I, I actually loved the whole the whole setup. Um so you know, found footage is starting to, to wear kind of thin, but I thought this one was really well justified and how it starts with like those little little clips like news clips and, and things about, about people that work at these haunted houses that get set up and there's moments throughout the movie where they do that it sort of legitimized this idea that they're making that this is kind of a documentary that was put together I thought, I thought it was constructed pretty well
0: yeah um, to be honest with you I am a fan of, uh, of found footage films because when they work really well um they i find that they can uh, completely absorb your attention and uh like i'm thinking of like uh, paranormal activity when the first two when i saw them uh they completely captivated me i i fucking love those films because of that and the first uh, one is definitely one of my one of my favorites that one that one scares me more than the haunting in connecticut that one scares me <laughs> yeah that one scared the shit out of me <laughs> i loved it Um, but there's some things that, uh, really need to, I think, mesh with, uh, found footage films. And, and the beginning of this film, like, I like the news clips, like you said, but I had some trouble believing in the characters themselves. Um, it's not that the dialogue was bad. It was that sometimes they would say something at the wrong time, it felt like, uh, I can't explain it any better than that, but sometimes they would just say something that didn't make sense for them to say. Um, but uh that that that's the biggest complaint I have about this film is that sometimes the characters just didn't seem uh very realistic. And th- there's always that that, that idea with uh, found footage films that sometimes they take the camera out like there's one scene where the guy takes the camera to go pee in the woods and yeah. he's filming and something very creepy happens there so it's a good thing he brought the camera but <laughs> but uh he got a really did why feel
1: um, as well that the characters were lacking i I have seen this movie three times now it's it was an instant favorite of mine when I when I saw it on Netflix it looked like it was going to be cheap as hell which i yeah. mean that the production well some of those haunted houses were pretty good oh, but yeah. I, I was really surprised i liked it so much and and it's going to be be a halloween favorite of mine but but i have i have no idea after three viewings, who the characters are and and what they thought, what what like each individual did. Even the even the third time, I'm like, I can't remember that one's name. The characters are really secondary to to what goes on. Yeah, it's just that for me, what goes on is is so damn interesting. Oh mind.
0: I, yeah. I have to agree completely with that because uh, uh, it it is very creepy. It's almost like they sent out a. Ma- a message into the universe saying,' we want to find you to this uh, haunted uh, this secret haunted attraction and uh, in turn it finds them and you know as it escalates, it gets weirder and weirder and uh, oh man, like that clown those that clown that keeps popping up um, <laughs> he's always in their face about the camera. And they almost get into a fist fight at one point Now, that guy freaks me out <laughs> You know, it was the it was the girl in the porcelain baby yes. doll mask That got me She yes. is creepy I love that scene because it's so much tension Will um, they bring where, her into the RV? Yeah, I don't even think he intentionally Because at first he's like, I didn't even invite her in, man She just no, followed Yeah, she me. just wandered in and, uh, and then she sits down and there's just that tension, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Nobody's talking, and uh, and the camera's focused on her, of course. And then she does some creepy things, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> it's just and about
1: it, as good as the Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Sorry, what was that?
1: It's just about as good as the hitchhiker scene in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Yeah, there's that tension there. But that... That scene is actually better, I would say, because it lasts for a good ten minutes. The scene, yeah, I mean,
1: the uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is better, but but
0: uh, (laughs) but but this one in in
1: Houses October, but was pretty good.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, Uh, I like that scene because the tension there is just uh, incredible. But uh, the tension keeps building and building until it uh, until we come to its conclusion, and the conclusion was kind of weird. I thought. You gotta wonder where this came from and and why it's happening, but I like the mystery that it leaves.
1: It does have that that sort of sort of mystery like that um, like that film the vanishing a little bit. Um, I didn't like that that in this movie, they have a scene right at the beginning that pretty much tells you what the end is. And I guess they did that to to keep us interested in the beginning part where it, where it's just the setup, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I wish that, that they had maybe shown us a little bit, uh, not quite so far in, you know, maybe yeah. just when they found the blue skeleton, because I thought that was kind of a giveaway that I'd rather not know.
0: Yeah, for sure, but you know, the first time through you don't really think of it that way, um, like I didn't even notice that until you mentioned it just now. But I only seen it the once, so I imagine now that I have seen it, I, I'd see that scene again. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, yo, okay," <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, but yeah. Uh, other than that, though, uh, I I really did enjoy this film, mostly because of uh, of the haunted houses. That the whole haunted house thing is something that fascinates me, and uh, I've heard that uh, some people do take it really far. But you gotta wonder how far how far you're gonna take it before somebody gets shot.
1: It is really interesting. And and I mean just to be to be clear to everybody, we're talking about those um what would you call them? Not like, They're like, like the nos- haunt- attractions. attractions.
0: Yeah, like where you're led where you you go into a maze and, and people yeah. jump out at you and,
1: and and as they take their their tour from city to city the the quality of of the scares that are put on by the people running them and it, mm-hmm. uh, it really escalates I mean some of that is just was downright downright freaky my God
0: I know there's a one I think it's like second to last that they go into and it's just it's crazy. Like, there's, they enter one room where it's like, I don't think we're supposed to be in this room. And there's, like, a ton of fucked up shit going on in there.
1: Yeah. I had them written down. I think that one was, was called Phobia. Yeah. That one was... And, or Terrorplex was the second to last one they went to. That was the one with the little girl standing in the bedroom.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Oh.
1: I would love to go to some of these places, you know. It's like, they were looking for those, for the ultimate haunted house they were looking for the place that was the most extreme but i think they already found yeah <laughs> like, okay
0: yeah cause it's funny because they, they're going through this uh, haunted house and they're screaming at everything that pops out at them and and you can hear how scared they're like we got to get out of here we got to get out of here now how does that not <laughs> how does that not uh become the ultimate scare
1: I know it's o- it's only the uh, their female
0: companion
1: that kind of loses the the taste for the hunt. Um, oh yeah,
0: but well, the big bear guy does too. He because uh, at the end when shit starts getting real, both of them kind of want out, and yet they don't do anything. Like if I was them, I would be like, all right, you know what? This is too much. Because as we say, I don't want to ruin the movie too much, but some things start happening that that's really personal, <laughs> and that's when. I would say at least you know this is this is too much. I'm going home.
1: Yeah, some really good Blair Witch type things. You know how how in the Blair Witch project they'd be in their tent and they'd wake up and weird shit had happened. Kind of yeah. a play on that because they in in here they they sleep in their RV and and then they they'll wake up and weird shit has happened. And yeah, just, uh, it's that idea that you know people are wandering around outside while you're sleeping and, and most vulnerable.
0: And following them, perhaps. Yeah. Or, or if if they're not following them, then there's something else happening, and it's not it's not human, <laughs> because they don't actually give you an explanation as to what's going on. You're kind of uh, left to figure it out for yourself, and that's one aspect I like because it gives a mystery to the whole thing. Uh, it starts off with the mystery that I think it kind of has to end with because if you explain it, you're just gonna Oh, excuse me. You're just going to ruin it.
1: Yeah. It does make me wonder how the blue skeleton actually operates. If, if uh, anybody that gets that far meets the same fate, I imagine.
0: Yeah. I mean, y- y- you start thinking it has to be something supernatural, because how do you get the invite inside the pumpkin?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, David Blaine could do it, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, there's. Oh, yeah, this movie actually reminded me of another movie. Um, unfortunately, I, c- I can never remember the name of this movie, but it's a, a devil worship movie where these two uh, two couples go on, uh, they go on a, uh, like a, an RV trip. Uh, they're on a vacation, and I forget where they're going. I think they're going skiing or something. They never actually make it to the skiing. Because uh, along the way they run into these devil worshippers, and no matter how far away they get from them, uh, these devil worshippers keep finding them. And uh, so this movie kind of reminded me of that. Which is a, uh, if I remember the name of it, I'll uh, add it <laughs> into the end of the show. But yeah, uh, let
1: us let it know.
0: But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good movie. But it reminded me of that too. I think there's may have been some influence there. It's like a movie from the seventies.
1: It sounded like it. that's when all that devil worship really came came to the forefront,
0: yeah, the seventies loved their devil worships,
1: yeah, <laughs> Do you on. remember that I don't know if I don't know if you got that up in Canada, but in the seven late late seventies and and early eighties that was that was like the big general urban legend was was that there's devil yeah. worship going on everywhere, and they're sacrificing children, and yeah. you never knew because there were devil worshipers in your town.
0: Yeah, the uh, satanic uh, scare of the yeah. AS was but according uh, to the
1: FBI they never discovered any truth any of those.
0: No. Um <laughs> Or so
1: they say.
0: Yeah, dun dun dun. Maybe uh you know, maybe sort of like true detective, it's so deep into the uh <laughs> into the <laughs> system itself that you're never gonna find it because the only thing you're gonna find is maybe a serial killer here or there. <laughs>
1: yeah just that you know, yeah, make.
0: because if you get too far into it they might kill you <laughs> sacrifice you to their dark god yeah.
1: <laughs> sounds like a Matthew Gray Googler directed episode of Criminal Mind
0: <laughs> yeah, easy maybe, for me yeah. to say <laughs> alright so uh, what are your uh, closing thoughts on the house October built you know I just love this movie I just love it and I highly recommend it and and
1: I think it should um I think it's perfect for for the Halloween Halloween time you know it uh, will definitely put you in the mood and and make you want to go out and find some of these these attractions that that pop up I just I just absolutely love this movie despite the fact that the characters were so bland I um the haunted houses that they go to are really fucking scary
0: yeah I uh, I can't agree more. I uh, I like this film a lot. I think it's going to become a a regular Halloween film for me too because it has a very strong Halloween feel to it, mainly because of those Halloween haunts. It reminds me of uh, uh of some of the things that I see around here because um, uh, I live near a place called uh, Canada's Wonderland. It's a theme park and every year at halloween they do uh uh halloween haunts that's what they call it i think oh, and uh fun so it's it's sort of like a you know haunted uh theme park in a sense you go down uh when you're going through the park you have people jumping out at you and 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 uh some pretty interesting things like that so it was just interesting to see uh all these variations on the haunted house uh Attraction, and I would absolutely love to go visit these myself. And I think the movie is just perfect, like that. Like if they just left it at this is, you know, all these haunted attractions, I would have been fine with that. But the story itself is uh, pretty interesting, and like I said, I like the mystery, so I recommend it too, especially for Halloween.
1: Wonderful. I'm glad you liked it. I'm I'm uh, doing pretty well on my recommendations.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What do you rate it? Five. I give it five. A five Dweller heads. Wow! I give it. I'll give it a four. Four is good. All right. So that is the house's October built, and that almost brings us to a conclusion for uh, <laughs> for Haunted November.
1: I love Haunted November because Halloween just just flew by. I it wanted did. more.
0: I remember thinking in September. Uh, because that's In September 1st I swear to God September 1st The stores started bringing out All the Halloween stuff All the candy and whatnot
1: <laughs> Yeah, it was early
0: Yeah, and I was like Oh, awesome You know, Halloween's starting And uh, I have two months To think about Halloween And enjoy it And I blinked And suddenly it was November 1st
1: I <laughs> know, it's been, it's it just, been crazy it
0: And now Thanksgiving
1: is over and, and it's Christmas time
0: yeah. How was your Thanksgiving by the way?
1: It was very good. Well, I went up to uh I guess you my in laws, which I think of as, as more just straight family than, than in laws and had a really great time.
0: Well that's that's good that's good to hear. Um so Alright, so I guess that's it. Um Thanks again for being on the show.
1: It's always my pleasure. Um, and, and I wish everyone out there a, a happy beginning of December but as always
0: stay dark my friend stay dark indeed burn witch, burn
1: witch burn, burn,
0: burn alright dwellers now we come to uh, the new segment of the show I'm proud to present Rocco Urso Jr. as he reviews Fiona Dodwell's uh, novella Nails Um Rocco is, uh, is an actor and filmmaker, and uh, you can find him on YouTube, he has his own channel where he plays a lot of music, and uh, I believe that he's also in the process of doing a, a, a web show, what do you call those, uh, internet shows, and uh, I'm going to have to get the details on that, see if I can't get links from him, and so I can post them and you can check them out, alright, take it away Rocco.
2: Hey everybody, this is Rocco Urso for the Darkness Dwells podcast. For my first book, we're going to review Nails by Fiona Dodwell. The story follows Carla Bracken. She's a young woman, uh, office worker in England, uh, dealing with commitment issues from her boyfriend and at the same time trying to move out of her parents' house for the first time into a new apartment. Now, the, op- the apartment that she moves into has been vacant for a long time, and you do eventually find out why that is. Um, but, of course, in the beginning, she chooses it because it's a nice-sized apartment and it's in the right price range as a result of the fact that it hasn't been able to be rented by anybody. On her first night in her new apartment, Carla hears a strange tapping noise while she is taking a bath and getting ready for bed. She stops and listens, and the tap continues. Tap, 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 tap. it sounds like it's coming from inside the house now being that houses like this and apartments like this do make their own kinds of noises and she can't explain it by any other means she decides that okay it's probably just uh, settling noises of the house or something totally explainable and so she goes to bed the next morning she tells her boyfriend about it he kind of has the same reaction he says oh yeah you know well it could be rats or anything which she doesn't like the sound of that but hey it's better than ghosts or killers or whatever else it could be Um, So she continues on with her day, and that night, when she's asleep, uh, she wakes up in the middle of the night to the same tapping noise. And so this kind of becomes a recurring theme, and she'll wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes in the day, and hear this tapping. And it gets to the point where she becomes seriously afraid of it. She looks for where the source of the tapping could be coming from, and she just cannot find anything that could cause it. She feels like it's coming from a very specific area, In the house She tells her boyfriend About it Unfortunately He doesn't wake up In time to hear it But it gets to the point Where she For lack of options Has to take matters Into her own hands And so she contacts Through her boyfriend a local amateur investigator who gives her a voice-activated digital recorder. And he says to her, okay, leave this on in the house and try and see if you can pick that tapping noise up on here, and then of course we'll have proof and we'll have a reason to give up to full investigation and, and maybe contact professionals or authorities or whatever you would do in that situation. And so she does. After a particularly bad evening of it, she starts a digital recorder, the voice-activated, which will only turn on whenever a noise happens, and she just kind of lets it record all day and all night. Uh, when she wakes up in the morning, there is a few files on there and it also recorded some other very disturbing things. And so at this point, she is totally warranted to contact a professional and have an investigation, and the investigation sequence in this is uh, kind of what I would say is the climax of the the story itself, and it's fantastic. It's really accurate. Um, There's not a lot of what you would consider to be flashy-type things that happen. It's really just... Accurate to what paranormal investigations are like and totally scary. After hearing the digital recording, her boyfriend and everybody else, of course, is forced to believe her that something is going on in the house. Uh, You find out that something had gone on in the house beforehand, which I'm not going to give any spoilers for those of you who are going to read it, but a, a similar type of thing had been happening before to another young woman who lived in the house at that time. So she decides that she's going to. Contact a professional, get the other paranormal investigator she'd already talked to, and they are going to conduct an actual investigation to find out what it is that is happening in her house. And if there is an otherworldly presence that remained or carried over, something that might want to do her harm or whatever, and hopefully exercise that from the area so that she can have some peace of mind from whatever otherworldly presences may remain in her new home. And hopefully she can exercise them before she loses her mind or worse. This was just a very e- a very good read, very easy to follow, um, really hard to put down. I went right through it cover to cover. It was uh, short enough to where you did not lose interest during a single part. Every bit of this was incredibly well drawn. Every character was very real and very relatable, and... I think one of the best things about this is the fact that the author, Fiona's knowledge of the paranormal and her investigative experience are what really make this such a great story. The descriptions of the activity, the descriptions of the investigations are ultra-realistic and super terrifying. It's the type of scare that it's something that you can't help but think about when you turn the ni- you turn the light off at night in your bedroom afterwards and you're about to go to sleep. It's like that little inkling of thought, like, you know... That just nags at you. Or am I going to hear this kind of tapping tonight on my, you know, hardwood floor or down the hallway or something like that? You, you almost think that you're going to, and it's a little tougher to get to sleep than it is normally. So it, it definitely does its job, and I think it is something that. Anybody looking for a good scare is going to be able to relate to. There's not a lot of there's there's almost no fantasy element in this. It's very scientific approach, uh, the way that they talk about and treat the activity and how they treat the investigation and everything like that. I would definitely recommend this, and I have read a couple of her other stories, and I would say that everything that she does is definitely worth taking a look at if you're a horror fan or a paranormal fan, or if you're just a regular person who's looking for a a good scary story. Nails, uh, as well as her other critically acclaimed stories, are available on Amazon, and I would highly recommend them. I hope you enjoyed this little book review, and I hope some of you will go and check this out. Like I said, it's all available on Amazon. You can find her on uh, Facebook as well, and go give her a like. Of course, go check out the Darkness Dwells podcast. Uh, Subscribe to them on Facebook and stay up to date on the podcasts that are coming out. And I will be back again soon with a new review. So for this one, my first official review, Darkness Dwells podcast, Nails by Fiona Dodwell. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll tune in again.
0: My thanks to you, Rocco, for uh, that awesome review. Now uh, I can't—I really can't wait to uh, hear more reviews by Rocco. Uh, you can expect to hear a review from him. Uh, once to twice a month I believe and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got coming in the future and I hope you are as well so now it is time for us to move on to the final installment of this episode and that is the uh or I should say segment not installment because we're moving on to the third installment of uh, the Canterville Ghost by by Oscar Wilde now uh stay tuned also because uh next month i have a, a few ideas for uh fireside readings uh, in uh that well used to take place in britain i believe and uh during christmas time uh, there's nothing better in my opinion than a fireside reading and actually i went to britain once uh for the world horror convention in 2010 and while we were there we, we were uh we were both Jen and I were entertained by one act plays that, uh, adapted Edgar Edgar Poe stories and, and amongst others like MR James, I think I can't really remember. I was a little drunk, <laughs> but they were fascinating. I loved watching this stuff. Um, it just, the whole fireside tale thing reminds me of this, but I was thinking of maybe moving on to some radio plays or, or something else. We'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll see what I have in the Canon. So, It's time to get yourself nice and comfy again. Maybe uh, while I've been yapping you've been brewing a coffee or or pouring yourself a a pop or a glass of wine. And uh, it's time to get nice and settled in for the Canterville Ghost Part 3.
4: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG THE CANTERVILLE GHOST BY OSCAR WILDE CHAPTER Six. About ten minutes later the bell rang for tea, and as Virginia did not come down, Mrs. Otis sent up one of the footmen to tell her. After a little time he returned and said that he could not find Miss Virginia anywhere, As she was in the habit of going out to the garden every evening to get flowers for the dinner-table, Mrs. Otis was not at all alarmed at first. But when six o'clock struck and Virginia did not appear, she became really agitated and sent the boys out to look for her, while she herself and Mr. Otis searched every room in the house. At half-past six the boys came back and said that they could find no trace of their sister anywhere. They were all now in the greatest state of excitement, and did not know what to do, when Mr. Otis suddenly remembered that, some few days before, he had given a band of gypsies permission to camp in the park. He accordingly at once set off for Blackfell Hollow, where he knew they were, accompanied by his eldest son and two of the farm-servants the little Duke of Cheshire, who was perfectly frantic with anxiety, begged hard to be allowed to go too, but Mr. Otis would not allow him, as he was afraid there might be a scuffle. On arriving at the spot, however, he found that the gypsies had gone, and it was evident that their departure had been rather sudden, as the fire was still burning, and some plates were lying on the grass. Having sent off Washington and the two men to scour the district, he ran home and dispatched telegrams to all the police inspectors in the county, telling them to look out for a little girl who'd been kidnapped by tramps or gypsies. He then ordered his horse to be brought round, and after insisting on his wife and the three boys sitting down to dinner, rode off down the Ascot Road with a groom. He had hardly, however, gone a couple of miles when he heard somebody galloping after him, and looking round saw the little duke coming up on his pony, with his face very flushed and no hat. "'I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Otis,' gasped out the boy, "'but I can't eat my dinner as long as Virginia is lost. Please don't be angry with me. If you let us be engaged last year there would never have been all this trouble.' "'You won't send me back, will you? "'I can't go. "'I won't go.' "'The minister could not help smiling at the handsome young scapegrace, "'and was a good deal touched at his devotion to Virginia. "'So, leaning down from his horse, he patted him kindly on the shoulders and said, "'Well, Cecil, if you won't go back, I suppose you must come with me. "'But I must get you a hat at Ascot.' "'Oh, bother my hat! "'I want Virginia!' cried the little duke, laughing, and they galloped on to the railway station. There Mr. Otis inquired of the station-master if anyone answering to the description of Virginia had been seen on the platform, but could get no news of her. The station-master, however, wired up and down the line, and assured him that a strict watch would be kept for her and after having bought a hat for the little duke from a linen-draper who was just putting up his shutters, Mr. Otis rode off to Bexley, a village about four miles away, which he was told was a well-known haunt of the gypsies, as there was a large common next to it. Here they roused up the rural policeman, but could get no information from him, and after riding all over the common they turned their horses' heads homewards and reached the chase about eleven o'clock, dead tired and almost heartbroken. They found Washington and the twins waiting for them at the gatehouse with lanterns, as the avenue was very dark. Not the slightest trace of Virginia had been discovered. The gypsies had been caught on Broccoli Meadows, but she was not with them, and they had explained their sudden departure by saying that they had mistaken the date of Chawton fair and had gone off in a hurry for fear they should be late indeed they'd been quite distressed at hearing of virginia's disappearance as they were very grateful to mr otis for having allowed them to camp in his park and four of their number had stayed behind to help in the search the carp pond had been dragged and the whole chase thoroughly gone over, but without any result. It was evident that, for that night at any rate, Virginia was lost to them, and it was in a state of the deepest depression that Mr. Otis and the boys walked up to the house, the groom following behind with the two horses and a pony. In the hall they found a group of frightened servants and lying on a sofa in the library was poor Mrs. Otis, almost out of her mind with terror and anxiety, and having her forehead bathed with eau de cologne by the old housekeeper. Mr. Otis at once insisted on her having something to eat, and ordered up supper for the whole party. It was a melancholy meal, as hardly anyone spoke, and even the twins were awestruck and subdued, as they were very fond of their sister. When they had finished, Mr. Otis, in spite of the entreaties of the little duke, ordered them all to bed, saying that nothing more could be done that night, and that he would telegraph in the morning to Scotland Yard for some detectives to be sent down immediately. Just as they were passing out of the dining-room, midnight began to boom from the clock tower and when the last stroke sounded, they heard a crash and a sudden, shrill cry. A dreadful peal of thunder shook the house, a strain of unearthly music floated through the air. A panel at the top of the staircase flew back with a loud noise, and out on the landing, looking very pale and white, with a little casket in her hand, stepped Virginia In a moment they had all rushed up to her. Mrs. Otis clasped her passionately in her arms, the Duke smothered her with violent kisses, and the twins executed a wild war-dance round the group. "'Good heavens, child, where have you been?' said Mr. Otis rather angrily, thinking that she had been playing some foolish trick on them. "'Cecil and I have been riding all over the country looking for you, and your mother's been frightened to death.' "'You must never play these practical jokes any more.' "'Except on the ghost! Except on the ghost!' shrieked the twins as they capered about. "'My own darling, thank God you are found! You must never leave my side again!' murmured Mrs. Otis, as she kissed the trembling child and smoothed the tangled gold of her hair. "'Papa,' said Virginia quietly, "'I have been with the ghost.' "'He is dead, and you must come and see him. "'He's been very wicked. "'But he was really sorry for all that he'd done, "'and he gave me this box of beautiful jewels before he died.' "'The whole family gazed at her in mute amazement. "'But she was quite grave and serious, "'and turning round she led them through the opening in the wainscoting, "'down a narrow secret corridor.' Washington following with a lighted candle, which he'd caught up from the table. Finally they came to a great oak door, studded with rusty nails. When Virginia touched it, it swung back on its heavy hinges, and they found themselves in a little low room with a vaulted ceiling and one tiny grated window. Embedded in the wall was a huge iron ring, and chained to it, was a gaunt skeleton that was stretched out at full length on the stone floor and seemed to be trying to grasp with its long, fleshless fingers an old-fashioned trencher and ewer that were placed just out of its reach. The jug had evidently once been filled with water as it was covered inside with green mould. There was nothing on the trencher but a pile of dust. Virginia knelt down beside the skeleton and, folding her little hands together, began to pray silently, while the rest of the party looked on in wonder at the terrible tragedy whose secret was now disclosed to them. "'Hallo!' suddenly exclaimed one of the twins, who had been looking out of the window to try and discover in what wing of the house the room was situated. "'Hallo! The old withered almond trees blossomed!' I can see the flowers quite plainly in the moonlight. God has forgiven him, said Virginia gravely as she rose to her feet, and a beautiful light seemed to illumine her face. What an angel you are, cried the young duke, and he put his arm round her neck and kissed her. Chapter 7 Four days after these curious incidents a funeral started from Canterville Chase at about eleven o'clock at night. The hearse was drawn by eight black horses, each of which carried on its head a great tuft of nodding ostrich plumes, and the leaden coffin was covered by a rich purple pall, on which was embroidered in gold the Canterville coat of arms. By the side of the hearse and the coaches walked the servants with lighted torches, and the whole procession was wonderfully impressive. Lord Canterville was the chief mourner, having come up specially from Wales to attend the funeral, and sat in the first carriage along with little Virginia. Then came the United States minister and his wife, then Washington and the three boys, and in the last carriage was Mrs. Omney. It was generally felt that, as she had been frightened by the ghost for more than fifty years of her life, she had a right to see the last of him. A deep grave had been dug in the corner of the churchyard, just under the old yew-tree, and the service was read in the most impressive manner by the Reverend Augustus Dampier. When the ceremony was over, The servants, according to an old custom observed in the Canterville family, extinguished their torches, and as the coffin was being lowered into the grave, Virginia stepped forward and laid on it a large cross made of white and pink almond blossoms. As she did so, the moon came out from behind a cloud, and flooded with its silent silver the little churchyard and from a distant copse a nightingale began to sing. She thought of the ghost's description of the Garden of Death. Her eyes became dim with tears, and she hardly spoke a word during the drive home. The next morning, before Lord Canterville went up to town, Mr. Otis had an interview with him on the subject of the jewels the ghost had given to Virginia— They were perfectly magnificent, especially a certain ruby necklace with old Venetian setting, which was really a superb specimen of sixteenth-century work, and their value was so great that Mr. Otis felt considerable scruples about allowing his daughter to accept them. "'My lord,' he said, "'I know that in this country Mordmain is held to apply to trinkets as well as to land.' and it is quite clear to me that these jewels are, or should be, heirlooms in your family. I must beg you accordingly to take them to London with you, and to regard them simply as a portion of your property, which has been restored to you under certain strange conditions. As for my daughter, she is merely a child, and has as yet, I am glad to say, but little interest in such appurtenances of idle luxury— I am also informed by Mrs. Otis, who, I may say, is no mean authority upon art, having had the privilege of spending several winters in Boston when she was a girl, that these gems are of great monetary worth, and, if offered for sale, would fetch a tall price. Under these circumstances, Lord Canderville— I feel sure that you will recognize how impossible it would be for me to allow them to remain in the possession of any member of my family. And, indeed, all such vain gauds and toys, however suitable or necessary to the dignity of the British aristocracy, would be completely out of place among those who have been brought up on the severe, and I believe immortal, principles of republican simplicity.' "'Perhaps I should mention that Virginia is very anxious that you should allow her to retain the box, as a memento of your unfortunate but misguided ancestor. As it is extremely old, and consequently a good deal out of repair, you may perhaps think fit to comply with her request.' "'For my own part, I confess, I am a good deal surprised to find a child of mine "'expressing sympathy with medievalism in any form, "'and can only account for it by the fact that Virginia was born in one of your London suburbs "'shortly after Mrs. Otis had returned from a trip to Athens.' "'Lord Canterville listened very gravely to the worthy minister's speech,' "'pulling his great moustache now and then "'to hide an involuntary smile, "'and when Mr. Otis had ended, "'he shook him cordially by the hand and said, "'My dear sir, your charming little daughter "'rendered my unlucky ancestor, Sir Simon, "'a very important service, "'and I and my family are very much indebted to her "'for her marvellous courage "'and pluck. "'The jewels are clearly hers, "'and, egad, I believe that if I were heartless enough to take them from her, "'the wicked old fellow would be out of his grave in a fortnight, "'leading me the devil of a life. "'As for their being heirlooms, "'nothing is an heirloom that is not so mentioned in a will or legal document.' And the existence of these jewels has been quite unknown. I assure you I have no more claim on them than your butler. And when Miss Virginia grows up, I dare say she will be pleased to have pretty things to wear. Besides, you forget, Mr. Otis, that you took the furniture and the ghost at a valuation.' "'and anything that belonged to the ghost passed at once into your possession. "'As whatever activity Sir Simon may have shown in the corridor at night, "'in point of law, he was really dead, and you acquired his property by purchase.' "'Mr. Otis was a good deal distressed at Lord Canterville's refusal, and begged him to reconsider his decision. But the good-natured peer was quite firm, and finally induced the minister to allow his daughter to retain the present the ghost had given her. And when, in the spring of 1890, the young Duchess of Cheshire was presented at the Queen's first drawing-room on the occasion of her marriage, her jewels were the universal theme of admiration for Virginia received the coronet, which is the reward of all good little American girls, and was married to her boy-lover as soon as he came of age. They were both so charming, and they loved each other so much that everyone was delighted at the match, except the old marchioness of Dumbleton, who had tried to catch the Duke for one of her seven unmarried daughters, and had given no less than three expensive dinner-parties for that purpose, and, strange to say, Mr. Otis himself. Mr. Otis was extremely fond of the young Duke personally, but theoretically he objected to titles, and, to use his own words, was not without apprehension, lest, amid the enervating influences of a pleasure-loving aristocracy, the true principles of republican simplicity should be forgotten. His objections, however, were completely overruled, and I believe that when he walked up the aisle of St. George's Hanover Square, with his daughter leaning on his arm, there was not a prouder man in the whole length and breadth of England the Duke and Duchess after the honeymoon was over went down to Canterville Chase and on the day after their arrival they walked over in the afternoon to the lonely churchyard by the pine-woods there had been a great deal of difficulty at first about the inscription on Sir Simon's tombstone but finally it had been decided to engrave on it simply the initials of the old gentleman's name and the verse from the library window. The Duchess had brought with her some lovely roses which she strewed upon the grave, and after they had stood by it for some time they strolled into the ruined chancel of the old abbey. There the Duchess sat down on a fallen pillar, while her husband lay at her feet smoking a cigarette and looking up at her beautiful eyes. Suddenly he threw his cigarette away, took hold of her hand, and said to her, "'Virginia, a wife should have no secrets from her husband.' "'Dear Cecil, I have no secrets from you.' "'Yes, you have,' he answered smilingly. "'You've never told me what happened to you when you were locked up with the ghost.' "'I have never told anyone, Cecil,' said Virginia gravely. I know that, but you can tell me. Please don't ask me, Cecil. I cannot tell you. Poor Sir Simon. I owe him a great deal. Yes, don't laugh, Cecil. I really do. He made me see what life is and what death signifies and why love is stronger than both. The Duke rose and kissed his wife lovingly. You can have your secret, as long as I have your heart, he murmured. You have always had that, Cecil, and you will tell our children some day, won't you? Virginia blushed. The End of The Canterville Ghost by Oscar Wilde Read for LibriVox by David Barnes
0: Thank you for listening to Darkness Dwells. Uh, As always, the best way you can help the show is to log on to your iTunes account and uh, find the show. Just look up the Darkness Dwells podcast. Leave a review and a rating. And the more of those that we get, the more iTunes is willing to share us. (laughs) <laughs> right now they don't want to share us because we're not very well known but we are growing and uh, and I'm excited about the future alright so uh, you want to get in contact with the show you can do so easily you can email the show at darknessdwells74 at com. there's a twitter feed darkdweller74 or at darkdweller74 and we also have a facebook page you can like and that is at uh, www.facebook.com/wheredarknessdwells. And uh, there's also a Facebook group, but it's not very active right now. So I invite you to find it and to join it, and let's make it active. Let's let's talk. Let's uh, let, let us have a discussion. Let's not have the discussion just between me, Michael, and and Rocco. Let us all. Uh, get in on this and and talk about what we all love. So, uh moving on, as I said earlier, stay tuned because we have some uh, very interesting plans and some even maybe some more new segments coming up in the future. Thanks again for listening everybody. We'll see you again shortly. Good night and, and sweet, sweet tree. Tree.